Lord, speak to our hearts, for we, your servants, are listening. We pray this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. I invite you, church, to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, starting in verse 8 this morning as we are in a series where we're looking at those familiar nativity scenes, zooming in on some of the characters of Christmas Two weeks ago, we looked at the adoptive father of Jesus, Joseph. Last week, we looked at the mother of Jesus, Mary. This week, we're zooming in to look at the shepherds of that nativity scene. I wonder if you were to answer the question, how you announce a royal birth? How do you announce the birth of a king? What comes with the trappings of, of the birth of a king? It seems that we would all agree a royal birth requires a, a royal announcement. Uh, some of you are watching The Crown on Netflix, and so Princess Diana and her season four story is, is fresh on your mind. But when Princess Diana gives birth to Prince William, the future heir of the British throne, St. Mary's Hospital, June the 21st of 1982, many of you know that there was an official spokesperson of the palace that issued an official statement through the Guardian newspaper that read like this, Her Royal Highness. The Princess of Wales was today safely delivered of a son at 9.03 p.m. Her Royal Highness and her son are both doing well. They didn't announce the name of the child at his birth. Seven days later, there was a handwritten royal proclamation that was posted upon an easel right outside of Buckingham Palace that in that place would name the child William Arthur Philip for all to know. A king, the heir to be the king, the the son of Prince Charles and Princess Diana, uh, what we know as Prince William was born, and that was news. That was news not only for the UK, that was news that needed to be celebrated, needed to be shared. It demanded a a royal announcement. It demanded a royal proclamation. We gather this morning, the third Sunday of Advent, to reflect upon the, the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How does God the Father in his infinite wisdom announce the birth of salvation that enters into the world, hope that enters into the world, joy and peace that enters into the world? Well, this we read, this pronouncement we read in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. In the same region, they were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Notice that that royal announcement comes not from a pronouncement from the temple in Jerusalem. It comes not from an official edict from uh, the the place of position and power in that Greco-Roman world. It comes not out of Rome, but this angelic announcement comes to lowly shepherds in a field. I want us to think carefully about the, the nature of that announcement. Look with me in verse 11 again. Unto you in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. What is these three titles that intersect with who Jesus is, who Jesus is for your life and my life? 
I think it's important for us to understand these titles give us the very essence of his rescue mission for you and for me. The person that was born 2,000 years ago in that manger is not just a, a great teacher that if we listen to him is going to inform, inform us and educate us out of our predicament. No, uh, the person who was born 2,000 years ago that was announced by the angels is not this heroic exemplar of courage who faced his own death with stoicism and with strength. No, Jesus, who was born 2,000 years ago, is the Savior of all who would trust him. Note that in the very announcement of that birth, your need and my need to be saved from our sins is right there before us. What we need is one who will rescue us from our sinful predicament. What we need is someone who is a Savior. God is perfectly holy. God is infinite just, infinitely just. We are sinners. We follow the path of Adam and Eve in the garden when they fell. And so we fall. We too choose sin and we too are sinners. We volitionally choose to sin and in our very nature, we are sinners. We fall short of our own standards. I mean, just think about this. In, in this very sanctuary this morning, there are times where you say things and you say, boy, if I could rewind that and take that back. Or there are times where we should speak up and we are silent in the, in the face of, of times where we should say something and, and we rewind that and say, if I could go back and do that again, I would have said something. Or if I could go back and do it again, I would take that away. And that's our own standards. As, as fallen human beings, imperfect human beings, we fall short of our own standards. How much more so do we fall short of a God who is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous? All of us in this room need to hear the word of the Lord that says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. All of us have this in common. We are humans who are sinners, who fall short of the glory of God, and that separates us from him. But here's the great news of Christmas, that a Savior was born, a Savior who lived a perfect life, who died upon a cross to forgive you and forgive me, forgive all of humanity who would trust him for their sins. And so embedded in the very announcement of Jesus is his role to rescue humanity as they turn from sin and trust in him as Savior. He is a Savior, but he's Christ. It's important for us when we think of the Christmas story to not get, get conflated with sort of superhuman, superhero stories that are floating around in our world now. We, we, we know the stories of Superman, sort of this, this alien come from planet Krypton that falls like an asteroid into the fields and Martha and, uh, uh, Martha and Clark Kent's dad is... No one knows here at Dawson what Clark Kent's dad's name is. Superman's dad is Martha. I'm sorry. This is not in my notes here. You get the point right here, don't you? You get the point. I'm stumbling over this, and this is bothering me so much. About 10 minutes into my sermon, it's going to come to me. I will shout it out. You will all know what I'm talking about, and we'll move on with the sermon here. So Jesus comes as the predicted one, the prophesied one. He comes not as a, a surprise to the people of Israel. He comes as the one who was 
predicted. Think of Isaiah chapter 7 that says he would be born of a virgin. Think of Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that he would be born in Bethlehem. Look at Psalm 22 that shows us sort of a first-hand account of the very crucifixion of the one who was born there in a manger in Bethlehem. He is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah who was long hoped for, long predicted. This is Jesus our Savior, Jesus the Christ, but also note that he is the Lord. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, that the baby that was born is not just any normal human baby, but he is the infinite Son of God who demands our worship. And as Philippians chapter 2 tells us, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So know that Jesus is not a normal, ordinary baby born in Bethlehem, but he is the Savior, he is Christ, he is the Lord. This is the announcement of Jesus' birth. But notice also the audience to Jesus' birth. Notice the first recipients of that news were, were who? They, they, they were shepherds. If you were the PR director for the infinite God, how would you advise him? You know, it seems to me if I was talking to God the Father about how we were going to get the news of, the, of a, a royal birth occurring in, in the pages of human history, I would say, we've got to find somebody who can spread this news. We've got to find somebody at the top of the ladder of prestige and position who can, who through their influence, through their clout, through their pull, will be able to share this news so that the whole kingdom would know with crystal clarity that he, Jesus, has been born. Think with me in that moment that the announcement goes not to Caesar Augustus, who would be that person that could, could share it with everyone. The angelic announcement comes not to Caesar Augustus, but it goes actually to the opposite of, of the highest point of the ladder, really one of the lowest rungs of the ladder, as it goes to these shepherds. It's easy for us to sort of romanticize shepherds. It's easy for us to think of the shepherds in a way that, that no one in that first century world would have thought of them as. They, they were at best social misfits, outcasts, thieves. They were ritually unclean, and, and so they could not participate in temple worship. So they have no authority. They have no clout. They're poor, and they're the first recipients of this invitation of verse 12. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying where? In a manger. Go and see, the angels tell. And it's interesting here that when we think about why shepherds why, why did this announcement go to these shepherds? Because the shepherds would have known a manger, which was just a feeding trough. They, they would have been familiar with the first audience of, of that maternity suite 2,000 years ago. There was nothing about the animals that surrounded Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus that these shepherds would not have known intimately. So the announcement comes to these shepherds sort of as a, as a visual illustration of the very news that the angels say in verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angel tells us that, that the birth of Jesus is going to be for every person. Now, it's important for you to realize this because God the Father could have orchestrated the birth of Jesus to anyone, anywhere, at any time. 
As the infinite God, he could have orchestrated the birth of his son entering to the, the pages of human history anywhere, anytime, to anyone. But he chooses no-name peasants in an out-of-the-way town of Bethlehem to be born this way to what? To remind us that anyone, at any time, anywhere, who trusts in Jesus will be saved. That the news of Christmas is a news for all. It's a news for everyone. It, it, is, it is something that has no barriers. There, there are no secret handshakes that you have to know. There's no intellectual hurdles that you have to jump over. You don't have to be born of the right family. You don't have to be in this crowd. It is for all. It is for everyone. about seven years, six and a half years, I was the pastor of a church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Tupelo's right, you're going to Memphis on 22, you're going to run right through Tupelo. Tupelo's famous for the birthplace of Elvis Presley. You go out of the front of the church that I had the joy of pastoring, Calvary Baptist Church. We went there when I was 28 years old. We had our oldest son, who was two years old, Hayden, and we, we had uh, Luke, uh, who was born in the Tupelo area, and then our youngest son, Jonathan. So that was a church that was special to us because they were so gracious to us. We were really, really young, and they loved us, and we loved that church, and we still do love that church. Much of the understanding of ministry was born out of the years of, of serving there. If I went out the front door of the church, right there on Main Street, if I looked down to my right, I would see uh, big busloads of, of people, really, literally from all across the world, who would come in for the sort of Graceland Tupelo tour, and they would go to the uh, birthplace of Elvis there in Tupelo, which was right down from our church, and then they would go to the hardware store where he bought his first guitar. That's the front door of the church. If you go out the back door of our church, right behind us, about a half a mile from our church, really a fourth of a mile from our church, was the only Salvation Army shelter between Memphis and Birmingham. And so Salvation Army is this wonderful ministry you're familiar with. It's wonderful here in Birmingham, wonderful in Tupelo, across the U.S. I mean, it has this wonderful evangelistic origins of being able to meet physical needs as a platform for sharing the gospel. And so our church had a long-standing partnership to care and to come alongside of folks who, who for whatever reason, were, were needing a fresh meal. They're needing a fresh place to lay their head. It was often, especially on a Sunday morning, that I'd have something like this happen. I'd park my vehicle, and early on Sunday morning, I'd be walking into the church, and somebody uh, from Salvation Army or somebody that was looking uh, for help would come and stop me. And they would say, hey, can you give me, and they would just be a long list of things. And so, especially on Sunday morning, I would say, hey, look, we would love, we would love to talk with you more. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to come alongside of you with the need that you have here. And so we'd be walking into the church and I would say, hey, let's, let's come on in and let's worship together here. And then after the service, we can talk some more about this. And I remember, it's still just so vivid to me, one person early on in my ministry who looked at me and said, man, I can't walk into that church. I don't have my act together. And it, it, it still, those words just haunt me. And I told him, hey, look, we all 
are sinners in need of grace. No one has their act together in there. If that's the prerequisite, it would be an empty sanctuary. We're all broken. We're all battered. Now, that person looked at me and said, I can't walk. I can't walk in there. I can't be a part of that. That's not for me. And it still haunts me wondering how many people walk past our churches thinking, I can't walk in there because I don't have my act together. And it makes me wonder at times what, what kind of images uh, then, because I knew that our church would love those people that would, would walk in there, and I knew we'd care for them. I knew that that was the truth, but we misunderstand the gospel because so often we think that the gospel is, is, that, is that the church is, a, is sort of a, a club for those who are, are religiously right and the self-righteous, but no, it is a hospital, and it's a hospital for, for sinners like you and me. It's for the sick, it's for the broken, it's for the bruised, it's for the beaten, it's for the battered. Now, the way that gets expressed, it looks different in in all of our lives, and sometimes we can cover up those bruises. We can cover up being battered by life and by sin and in ways, and there are different consequences. Yes, all of that is true, but as we listen to the message, it is a message to all, to everyone who would trust in him and would hear the good news that a baby has been born who provides joy and hope and peace for all who would trust in him. This is the message of that announcement. The audience was the shepherds. And I finally want you to focus just on the adoration of Jesus' birth. Notice the response of the angels and the response of the shepherds at that glorious announcement. You look with me again in Luke 2, starting again in verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, Verse 17, verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds, they returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The good news of the angelic announcement is something that, that prose alone cannot contain. Notice that the angels break out into glorious song. There's a multitude of angels that join with the angel of the Lord to, to share glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the good news of the gospel, that the angels that had been in heaven for eternity past, worshiping the Father, worshiping the Son, worshiping the Spirit, now as the Son is entering in to our earth, they will, they will shout and sing and glorify God because they understand that salvation has come to the earth. But they're not the only ones who are going to respond with adoration. The angels aren't the only ones that respond. It is the very news of the shepherds that respond. As the shepherds go to see with their own eyes, we can imagine the shepherds approximately a mile outside of Bethlehem. They're lying under the stars. I love the description that with haste, they go to see what has been told to them. You can imagine 
these shepherds running, jumping over these low uh, Galilean fences as they go into town looking from place to place to find the manger where the angel of the Lord has told them that a baby is there and is lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. And as they saw him in verse 17, notice that they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. They, they did not just look upon Jesus and say, wow, that's interesting. That They immediately shared with joy what they had gazed upon that the angel of the Lord had told them. This is one of the themes that we see as we look at the characters of Advent. When the angel of the Lord speaks, Mary obeys. When the angel of the Lord speaks, Joseph obeys. When the angel of the Lord speaks, the shepherds obey. When God in his word speaks, do we obey? Do we adore God in the news of the Christmas story? Are we, are we faithful to share this news? Notice with me in verse 20 that they don't just stay in close proximity to that original Christmas story, but verse 20, they go back. They go back to their sheep. They go back to their herd, and they go back to their workplace. And what do they do? They glorify and praise God for all that they heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. The shepherds invite us to respond to the Christmas message by sharing what we have seen and what we have heard in our own lives. Do you know that? that? That you have a message to share. That we don't just stay around the manger scene as a holy huddle, just sort of uh, uh, patting each other on the back saying, wow, isn't that just this wonderful, fuzzy feeling that we have? Isn't this this cozy, comforting story of Jesus? No, it is a message that changes everything that we're called to go back to our homes, go back to our workplaces, go back to our neighborhoods and tell what we have seen and what we have heard. You're going to be hard-pressed to drive around any neighborhood in Birmingham and, and not have to swerve around a FedEx truck or a UPS truck. I mean, they are out in record numbers delivering packages that people on their couch are ordering off the Internet for Christmas to come to their home, for, to be wrapped, to place under the tree. Now, I've never asked a UPS person as they're delivering a package to me, hey, how long did it take you to put that bike together? How long did it take you to manufacture those clothes that you've just delivered to me? How long did it take for you to invent that game that you're delivering to me? No, the delivery person, the UPS man, the FedEx woman, they're only the middle person delivering what someone else has created, what someone else has originated, what someone else has manufactured, and they get it to the recipient. At Christmas, we have the great freedom to know that we do not have to invent the story that our world needs that offers hope, joy, and peace. We don't have to manufacture that story. We don't have to create that story. We don't have to look within us to say, where is hope found? Where is joy found? No, it is found in the person and his name is Jesus. And we have the great joy to go into our fields. But the harvest is ripe. 
our fields of the workplace, our fields of our neighborhoods, the fields of our family, to share that joy is found in a person, and his name is Jesus, and we're called to be deliverers of that message. Imagine, imagine if your package, you know, if your package and, and hundreds of packages that were to be delivered to one area of one place of this town were on one UPS truck or one FedEx truck, and that one person said, I'm not going to deliver any of them. I'm going to joyride from here to the West Coast. Maybe a lot of families would be disappointed come Christmas morning. And so it is for you and me. We are called not to originate the story, create the story of hope, but we are called to be faithful deliverers to those that God has given the address to us to share with. Who, who do you work with? Who do you live with? Who is in your family that you're on your knees praying, God, help me be a faithful deliverer of this news that salvation has come. Whose names are you taking before the Lord saying, I, I want to deliver the hope of the gospel to this person. Help me have the courage to do it. Whose names are we bringing before the Lord that ultimately we're called to be the delivery person of the message of the gospel, not only through our actions and our integrity, but through the words of celebration. What invitation do you need to offer to a person that God has orchestrated your path to? May we be faithful to deliver the message. May we go and tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ, over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ is born. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity to share this good news. It is a good news. It is a news that we have seen, that we have heard. We are here because someone delivered the message of the gospel to us. We are here because a faithful mother or father modeled the integrity of a life shaped by you and told us the very power of the gospel. We are here because we have received from a Sunday school teacher that, that prayed for us and loved us. from a friend or a co-worker who had the courage to, to love us enough to share with us the, the power of the gospel that they had seen, that they had heard in their own life. Help us be faithful in, in delivering the message not only to the generation behind us, but those that we live with, work with, live next door to or across the street from. May you give us the courage to be bold ambassadors, heralds of the joy that we have seen and we have heard of in the very power of the gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.